Hello and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Alpha podcast. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined uh, as always by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks, John. And what do you make of the uh, the crazy goings on on the markets this week, uh, which is the subject uh, of your Alpha report introduction? Uh, not much, really, is the truth. <laughs> truthful answer. Seen it all um, before, eh, Phil? Seen it all before. Well, well, you and I have. We have. We have. I wrote, and I wrote um, as much in my editorial this week. I uh, party like it's 1999. It has a very familiar feel to it, what's going on at the moment. Yeah, it does. It does, you know. People, people punting shares of companies that make no money. And there's more to it than that, though. Uh, although that's what people tell me, there's more to it. And um, I, I think there is a serious, I think there is a serious message from all this. And um, you know, clearly, what's been going on, uh, there have been, or it appears, there have been orchestrated attempts to drive the share price of GameStop, AMC Entertainment is as another one higher. Um, supposedly to target short sellers and uh, make them feel the pain. And there are some hedge funds that have felt the pain. But I think whatever you think of hedge funds, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not their best fan, no, there's, the, there's a great quote you've actually used in uh, in your report this week. The, uh, the 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 bastardized Winston Churchill quote: "Never has so much been made for so little by so few." Uh, I, and yes, I think that's very that's very apt. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not going to go on about it, but you know, I think I think they 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 they. they, they a lot of them can't really demonstrate that they have a lot of skill. They have a lot of borrowed money and leverage. Um, but you know what? You know the Warren Buffett experiment with an S and P five hundred tracker. You know showed that most of them actually aren't very good, but, but a lot of them are very rich because of the fee structure. And I can understand quite clearly why why some people don't like them. Um, I think what concerns me is that that um, some of the pain that the hedge funds were taking was so big that the that there's, there's been chatter and there still is chatter that they will have to sell more liquid holdings to cover their losses, and you know that will can that will put downwards pressure is putting downwards pressure um, on the stock market. So yet again we have, you know. An instance where the structure of something in the financial world destabilizes the stock market, and uh, I think I think it's long overdue that that you know I, I I'm I'm a fan of free markets. I believe in in free markets and allowing price discovery through you know buyers and sellers, uh, but we don't have that. We we um we have a very strange strange setup. We have too much speculation with with borrowed money, and the, the there's a lack of 
there's a lack of control in certain areas of of the stock market. And I think it's long overdue that, uh, you know, the powers that be step in on this and do something about it. Yeah, well, there's, there's been a bit of a backlash because, um, I mean, a, a lot of sort of inexperienced traders have, have, have started trading throughout the pandemic using uh, Robinhood uh, as a platform, as a trading platform um, for, their, for their first investments. And I, you know, my understanding is that's, that's free trading. The whole thing is very, very gamified, uh, offers leverage, derivatives, whatever it might be. Uh, arguably not, not a tool that or some, some of those tools should not be available to people who aren't, aren't very experienced. Um, and it sucks a lot of people into the market who don't seem to know what they're doing and how the stock market works. Um, and then, obviously, um, you have the social media impacts of this as well. So, you know, I, I look at this and think there's been huge manipulation through uh, bulletin, what is essentially a bulletin board, Reddit, to bring all those people into to, to buying shares like, like GameStop or AMC. That's, that's collusion. And, you know, my understanding is that, that you know, that's not allowed. Um, it's it's pump, pump and dump, um, which is certainly illegal over here. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and finally, you know, you, obviously the, uh, you then had Robin Hood uh, stopping people buying shares in these, uh, these companies that had been uh, first heavily shorted and then heavily bought, um, whilst uh, others could still sell their positions, including hedge funds. So there's now, there's now been accusations chucked around that, that Robin Hood is against the private investor having, having democratised the whole thing in the first place. It's a mess. Yeah, you, I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, it is a mess. I mean, I, I, I can't see how regulators can't look at this and think, OK, this is this has gone a bit wrong. We've probably got to do something here. Um, I mean, I don't think even during the city, the wildest times of the dot com boom, we saw anything quite like this. I, I, don't, I don't remember anything, anything like this. I mean, you remember silly valuations being being attributed to essentially worthless companies that did turn out to be worthless. Um, but never this kind of coordinated, you know, would you say it is it is pump pump and dump? Um or close to pump and dump. Well the, I guess I guess I guess it's only close to pump and dump if people can actually dump. And I think that would be the problem that that I think think a lot of the you know newly wealthy GameStop investors will find they have. Yeah, I mean it's I yeah, I mean this this is an issue that you know is not just confined to the you know the American stock market. There, there's a lot of ramping of illiquid illiquid shares on on this side of the Atlantic as well. Um, but it's not having you know it's not having the secondary effects. You know it's not putting high you know. It's not putting, you know, what deemed are the, you know, the financial elites, the hedge fund managers, into difficulties. It's, it's, it's. So over over here, it's not, it's not having that that big secondary effect. But you know, you know, I think we have to look at, you know, I think we have to look at short selling. Um, I'm very old fashioned. I I I don't agree with short selling. Um, I totally get the argument that. Short sellers um, do very, very diligent research and expose problems with companies. Um, but I, I, I just think it causes too many problems. 
Um, I think you can have price discovery in markets without, you know, people lending lending shares to, to other people to sell and then buy back. I think you can have um, price discovery by people who own shares selling shares because they find something wrong with it. Or, you know, people trying to sell shares, they realise they can't sell them at the price they want and, and then they drop the price and the market clears. Now, that may be a little bit naive, um, but that is that is how I feel. And um, I just think, think we need to get get away from this environment where there are certain participants in the stock market that, that have, have the capability to destabilize it. I, 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 I'm not 100% convinced that, that in this instance, I mean, certainly some of the short-selling research firms that have been involved in this, Citron was the one who's, uh, who, whose name is front and centre here, but obviously you've got people like Muddy Waters as well, Gotham, Gotham Capital. You know, I, I, I don't see that they're particularly destabilising in and of themselves. Um, and in fact, I, 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 do, I do see them serving a useful purpose um, as being sort of, you know, the, the, the canaries in the coal mine. There's some, some really quite, quite dodgy companies that, that probably shouldn't have found their way onto the market at all, ever, uh, and then should have probably been kept a closer eye on by, by regulators. So, so, that, so you could argue that they do a good job. I don't think going after a, uh, a defunct or an ailing retailer is necessarily doing the market a great service, but you've had some really odd situations that that, that that these companies have exposed. Do you, do you, I mean, do you see a value in that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, you know, it's... Um, and I think, you know, if you look at... If you just look at the way that, you know, you have research from investment banks, you know, that kind of research doesn't get written by investment banks because, you know, you don't last very long if you write research like that. And and um, because that doesn't that doesn't bring money into your uh, into your investment bank. No, they do. I think what it, just to, to clarify this de- destabilizing effect is that you know you get a problem when you have a short seller that is is fa- if, if you have a short seller that's facing a squeeze and they haven't got the money to cover to cover their losses, then they can be a problem. You know, because usually, you know, there's somebody somebody else that's a counterparty to that to that trade. Now we haven't got there yet, um, and hopefully we don't. But that's what I mean by by the potential potential to to destabilize. Um, but yes, they do. They do. There is some very good critical research. I think a lot of it. You know, we have. You know, we have a problem with the quality of companies that are listed on the stock exchange. You know, that that you have companies that really should be in the hands of, of venture capitalists, um, privately owned, that that shouldn't be that shouldn't be listed. I mean, you know, you and you and I, when you and I started out doing this, you know, you used to have you used to have to have a record of profitability. So to join the main market, you used to have, have a track record of profitability before you could list your shares on the stock exchange. And now, now we have, you know, companies listed on the markets across the world that are worth 
hundreds of billions of pounds that are barely profitable. One of which, one of which uh, is Tesla, um, which you've also written about this week, and I know you were keen to speak about. Um, and, and, and it kind of, this is another, it's, there are, it's not dissimilar to the GameStop situation, is it? I mean, there, is, there have been all sorts of controversies around um, Elon Musk, the, uh, the, the founder's behaviour. Uh, over the years, I think he even got sanctioned by the SEC at one point for uh, for something he tweeted. But you know this this is yeah. a, this is a strange situation again. You know the, the shares, which I think Mr. Musk had once said were were overvalued, uh, significantly lower price than they are now, have gone have gone through the roof. I think it trades something like two hundred times forecast earnings. I think I read somewhere that you know for the the market cap per car of of Tesla is in, is measured in the millions, whereas you compare yeah. that to General Motors and it's something like nine thousand dollars. So, yes. so, so I mean, no, I, I, I guess I guess Tesla is 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 the sort of litmus paper of of of, of bubble at the moment. Yeah, I mean, this is this is, I mean, this is not a company I've really really had a hard look at until until this week actually. Um, I spent quite a few hours looking at it this week, which, which is, and you sort of get, you get the feeling, yep, yeah, okay. I can see I can see the vision of this company. Um, for me, it's a car company. It's not a technology company. It, it it has technology, but it's selling cars. Well, that's that's the that's the that's the Scottish mortgage argument that it's a technology company and it's it's one of their biggest holdings, and and their argument is that that actually the rest of the industry has so far to catch up because of uh, Tesla's sort of lead on software and whatever it might be that it is a tech company. I would totally disagree. <laughs> I, I, I think I think if you look at if you you know I, I you know I'm sure that they have spent many many more I, they have spent many many more hours on this than I have, but you know I look at look at the products that they're selling. So you you know you've got the cars, and we'll come back to the cars. They have things like energy storage, solar panels. They're not making you know that they're selling them. That you know that they're selling more. Energy storage—they're not making any money out of it. You know that you can you can get that from looking at the accounts. There's no very little, if any, profit from from selling those. The batteries, yes, you know they they've got some good technology here, but then we you know we look at the products and or the products that we think about, and the competition is catching up. You know you look at you know you look at things like you know yes. Some of the top end cars that you know that the, the Model S's and the Model X's are super fast cars. You know they 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 are performance cars. But Volkswagen are now bringing out cars. You know Volkswagen has launched something called the ID4, which is effectively you know it's an SUV. It's like a sort of electric Tiguan, and. Tesla has got the the Model Y, which is the SUV version of the Model Three. So it's a similar size car. They're in a similar price back price bracket, and they have similar battery battery range in terms of in terms of mileage. So you know, from the customer's point of view, what's the difference? You know, you look at the interiors of a, of a Tesla, and they're really bland. You know, if you you know if you look at the price point that a Tesla is in, you know you, you're starting at sort of forty forty five k mark if you're a UK consumer, and you know that's that sort of 
the current price bracket for you know drivers of premium German German cars. And you know they're used to quite nice interiors, and you don't get a nice interior, I don't think, in a in a in a Tesla. No, I got, I got. I think I've got a nice interior in my Mazda three, which I got second hand for thirteen k. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah Mazda three. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, and you know, I, 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 I don't like Teslas. I mean, from what I've seen, I mean, you know, this is a very personal view, but I don't. I, I look at them and see a Mondeo. I don't see much different in terms of the styling, um, and and, it's, and for the money, I think you know, it's 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 extravagant uh, beyond belief just for for the electric side of things. And my understanding, which I think was explored in our, our big cover feature on EVs this week, is that they're not very reliable either. No, you go onto the internet. I mean. You can go onto the internet and find anything to suit your argument. And you can go onto any car forum on the internet and you'll find people slating whatever brand you want. But, you know, you go on a Tesla and there's a lot of grumpy people about, you know, paint quality, build quality, doors that aren't lined up, batteries that die after two days. Now, they may be, they you know, they may be exceptions, but... You know, I, I I start asking myself, you know, what what is special about this? Because the thing about the thing about this is no doubt that, that electric vehicles are the future. And there is there's a growth market. What what needs to be taken into account here is how does the industry structure of electric car vehicles evolve? Does it evolve in a way that that, that you end up with a dominant player? that has an advantage over everybody else so they can do it cheaper and or better and therefore earn you know monopoly profits or supernormal profits and i'm not convinced there is you know you if you look at you know i was reading something last week a really interesting article about quite in-depth article you know the chinese now are making really good electric cars there's a brand called neo which is, you know, across the range of electric vehicles, and it, and it wants to come to the European market in the next five years. Now, I'm not sure whether European consumers are ready yet to buy Chinese cars, but you know, we're looking at we're looking at the uh, you know a market that is evolving and changing very quickly. Now, granted that Tesla doesn't have the baggage that the you know. The traditional car makers have with, uh, you know, all the debt, all the cost of, you know, petrol and diesel and that kind of thing. But, you know, these companies will, these companies are fierce competitors. And, um, you know, you look at, you look at the valuation of this thing. This is a company that's worth, I don't know, $780 billion dollars. And it made two billion dollars in operating profit last year, and about fifteen hundred, uh, sorry, one point five billion dollars were 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 regulatory credits, emissions credits, and you know, okay, that's part and parcel of the business model, um, and, it, and it, but it's currently having a big big um, influence on overall level of profits, and you know, as deliveries go up, they'll get more of these. But it'll become less of a sort of of a factor. Well, but, but presumably, I mean, those those credits. I mean, because it because it manufactures green vehicles, uh, it, it gets these credits. Um, 
But 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 as the industry does shift to EVs, then presumably more and more car companies will also get these credits. Presumably, as 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 ESG as sustainability becomes more commonplace across his industry as a whole, other companies in other industries will generate these credits. Presumably, they won't be as valuable in the future when every company is green. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So so he's got it's got to at some point make money out of his cars. And you know, is there anything in the numbers? That, that you see that says, okay, that's good, that's moving in the right direction, that, that's the trajectory you want to see, there is a possibility that it can live up to its valuation at some point. No. <laughs> um, but, but I do think, I do th- you know, that's not to say that it can't grow its profits significantly from here. I think it can. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of development in the pipeline um you know you have you have two new factories coming on stream this year and deliveries and production production and deliveries sorry you know you know they're talking very bullishly they're talking about growing growing deliveries by 50% a year for the next few years but they need to you know they're only making half a million half a million cars a year toyota's toyota's delivering 9 million and so, so they need they need to uh, to ramp up production, but but you know the market the market will get more crowded, you know, you, you know you look at markets like Norway. There was an I read an article on Norway the other day, and you know Volkswagen is the is the leader. Tesla is not the leader in this market, and um, I just I just think that it's all very well. And I think you know a lot of the lot of the share prices come from you know short squeezes. You know people have people have tried to bet heavily against Tesla because it's overvalued, and they've got burnt. And you've just seen a monumental short squeeze, which has driven driven the share price higher. But you know, I think one of the things that you want to see as an investor, um, you know, over a reasonable period of time, is you want to see. Um, valuations track profits or cash flows, broadly speaking. Now, you have a problem when, you, when you've got companies that aren't making any money. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, it's, it's been, if it's been taken for granted and more so that, te- that Tesla has won this, won this industry, it's all over. That's, that's what the market capitalization is, is telling you, I think. It's, it's, it's it's all it's already handed the gold medal out to Tesla, and I and I don't think I don't think we're there. I, you know, there's no doubt there's some very clever technology in here, but we know we we're getting to a situation where or, or we've been having this debate for a long time, you know, the last few years about about business performance and the value the stock market puts on it, and. You can accept in a low interest rate world that certain companies can have high valuations. I think I think that that acceptance and that argument has been accepted. Um, I, but that's a different kettle of fish from taking um, you know companies now and pricing them as winners because they may or may not change an industry. And um, and I and I think that you know this is this has gone from from investing to 
not gambling. I think I think I think the people who have bought Tesla, who are and long Tesla, have, have taken a great deal of time and diligence um, in examining the markets and examining its business business model, and they've come come to a view. Um, and that view may be right, but it's a question of what at what price. And I and I think that the price is way 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 in excess of of what this company probably can achieve. But but you know you live when you live in a zero interest rate world, you know the the value of the future in today's money is a lot higher than than it used to be, and. The market doesn't want to ask questions like this. It's just, it, you know, there is a love affair with these kind of companies. Mm. When, I mean, we, we, as I say, have written this, or Nilushi, uh, Karuna Ratne and Alex Hamer have written a fantastic piece looking across the EV market this week. And, you know, uh, just going back to your point about Tesla being awarded the, the gold medal for winning te- electric cars. I mean, there are so many companies mentioned in this, this report. Um, you know, as you say, major car manufacturers. Yeah, it, it, it does look premature. What this report does is offers lots and lots of different ways of, of of looking at how you can play the electric car theme. So, you know, you've got you've got batteries themselves, you've got, you know, sort of software and technology that goes into them, you've got uh, the, the sort of miners who are producing the, the kind of raw materials needed to make them. So, you know, that picks and shovel approach seems to actually perhaps be a better way of playing this industry without having to pick the winner. Um, but I'll leave, I'll leave I'll leave our readers to uh, to, to pick that one up in uh, in their own good time. Eight pages worth. It's uh, it's a big one. Let's talk about should we talk about booze? Um, because uh, Diageo have had some numbers out this week, as have Fever Tree. Um, what do these look like? And the pubs are still shut. It can't be great for them. No, it's not great for them. But I actually think that both companies put out pretty reassuring numbers, actually. Um, I think I think both companies have done done very well with the cards that they've been dealt. And um, what's clear, I think, you know, the takeaway which is relevant to both companies um, is that the North American spirits market is doing is is firing firing very nicely. Um, there are some some sort of non sort of demand related issues there's, there's been a lot of restocking by by us us retailers which has which has brought forward orders for for spirits and there's been you know shift this is a, this is an industry where stocking and destocking can introduce some volatility into the results from t- from time to time uh, but at the moment the trends the trends are favorable and you know diageo has um you know shown what i think why why a lot of people view it as a very dependable long term investment it hasn't escaped hasn't escaped the carnage um but you know it's <clears throat> if you just look at its revenues its revenues were actually down by about 4.5% and its profit margin was was um still 30 over 32% and this is when pubs and bars and things like airport retail, which is where they make very rich, much richer margins, are, are essentially closed. And I think this was an extremely, extremely good result. I was going to say it's an extraordinary, an extraordinary performance, really, in 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 the circumstances, given given how exposed to the uh, to the on trade they actually are. 
to, to, to the bar and, and, and leisure industry. It's, it's, it's massive. Well, if we remember, yeah, and if we remember a year ago, you know, Diageo was one of the first companies that came out and reported and actually gave us a feeling of the damage that coronavirus and lockdown could, could do to their profits because they, I think they say, look, they were taking a hit of about 300 million just on their Chinese business alone. And, um, you know, we move on a year and they, uh, they've, they've done really well. Um, I, you know, the share, I don't think the shares look too expensive either. You know, if, if you look at, you buy Diageo for about 24 times next, next year's earnings. Yeah, if you look at the valuation of, uh, you know, some of the American spirits companies like, you know, Brown Foreman, um, which trades on, you know, a much higher multiple. I, I, I think, you know, I think Diageo looks, uh, looks pretty good. It's, it's a company, it's a company I've always liked, uh, and not just because I'm a big fan of its, its products. Um, it, it, it has always been a, a very well-run company. Um, I mean, you know, 24 times earnings, presumably that's, that's kind of uh, based on the possibility that pubs continue, pubs and bars and air travel continues to remain heavily, heavily um, restrictive for, for, the, for the foreseeable future. Um, no, I think some recovery, I think obviously some recovery is, um, is factored into this, but we're not, we, that's not getting back to, to 2019 levels of profitability. I, I, my guess is that just looking at the forecast is that uh, analyst forecasts are probably based on some form of opening up mm. this year. Fingers crossed. But, you know, Brown, but Brown, you know, Brown Foreman's on 40 times earnings. Yeah, that's a big gap. What, what, why do you think? Why do you think that? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that that Diageo is is trading at such a discount? I I don't know. I I think I think I think Brown Foreman is more of a play on on the North American spirits market. Um, and I think the North American spirits market has been doing doing very well, and there's there's been little to there's been little to offset it. Whereas, you know, Diageo obviously has a beer, you know, a beer business in Guinness, which is doing really quite badly with, with all the pubs shut and, um, you know, blows a hole and it offsets, you know, offsets the, um, the expert, you know, the, 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 the performance of the American market. I mean, North America is about forty percent, forty percent of uh, of business. I mean, Brown Brown Foreman is a is a global global business, and uh, you know, in, in Jack Daniels, it's got you know an incredibly, incredibly strong strong brand. But you know, uh, maybe, maybe there's a UK UK stock market discount in there. It does you know, feel like it. Yeah, and I just think you know the valuation gap between you know between those those two companies looks too big. One of one of them isn't right. Probably the answer lies somewhere in the middle. Um, it, it usually does. Well, um, should, should we quickly turn to, to Fever Tree um, that that you've also written about? I, we haven't we haven't spoken about Fever Tree for quite some time. Um, it was always it was always a contentious one, and again it was it was a valuation thing. Um, that we, we couldn't really get our head around. 
uh, and, uh, and and the potential in the US, um, which was obviously um, a big factor in why that valuation looks so rich. How's it getting on out there? Is the spirits market well, working for it as well as it is for Diageo? I would say I would say I would say yes, but I also think that the company deserves a lot of credit for the things that it's been doing doing in America. Um, you know, it put in a distribution agreement a couple of years ago. I think it went in. My my concern with Fever Tree is that is that its product's too expensive, and I still think it's too expensive. And I think it went in went into America with the wrong price point, and it refers to this as price optimization, which is just you know management speak. But you know, essentially, essentially, I mean, I read it is that. You know, they've cut their prices and it's been the right thing to do. And they've got, you know, nearly 60 percent increase in off trade sales in America. And they're also selling it, selling over the Internet there very well. Um, they're getting into the supermarkets and they're exploiting the trend. Tequila is a, is a very is on an absolute tear. And you see that in um, see that in the Diageo figures, and um, Fever Tree has been been positioning its um, its business and its drinks at, at the tequila market. Uh, it's 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 doing well, and um, the other good thing, the other really big big improvement that we've seen here is um, Fever Tree operates an outsourced business model, so it doesn't. It doesn't make and bottle um, the drinks. They're outsourced to a, to a third party. And what it's been doing up until very recently is essentially putting bottles of mixers in container containers and on container ships and shipping them across from, from the UK to the US. Uh, that's expensive and it also takes some time. And now what they've got is they've partnered up with a um, a bottler on the on the west coast um, that's going to make make all their drinks for it in America and bottle them and send them off to the shops and to the bars, and that's that's a really significant move because it's going to take out those those shipping costs and it's going to also reduce delivery time, so they're going to be able to give better customer service. So. The American business, it's difficult to know what's going on. There was quite a slowdown in second half growth. Uh, overall, the, you know, the, the sales are up about 23%, and they were up 38% in the first half and only 11% in the second half. But you know, with all these lockdowns, you just, it's difficult to get a handle on what's going on. But that, there has been quite a slowdown in the growth rate in America in the second half of the year. You need to keep an eye on that, see, what, see what's going on into the, into the new year. The other big success has been in in um, Australia and Canada, where where sales have been extremely strong. So, you know, we're looking at a business now that's gonna gonna have come out of twenty twenty, um, making similar kind of sales that it made last year. Um, the issue the issue will be is obviously what happens opening up in the UK. I, I think the UK was showing signs of plateauing even before COVID came along. 
And I think this is why what they're doing in Europe, in America, and places like Australia and Canada going well is a positive because it rebalances it rebalances the business away from the UK, which is what it need, needed to do. Um, I still think the shares are expensive. You know, they're on 50 times next 12 months. I was going to say, I mean, that, that, looks like a value, that looks like a valuation which demands perfect execution. And, and there's a lot that can go wrong here. Yeah, it still looks overvalued to me. But I think, but but I think from a business point of view, if we just look at what they're doing with the business, I think they're doing a good job. Um, and again, this is this is the issue you have. You know, you have good businesses, and 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 you know, the stock market puts them on very rich rich valuations. And I think you know the problem problem for Fever Tree now is that, you know. It went through a phase where they, it was riding the wave of a, of a gin boom in the UK, which led to regular upgrades in analyst forecasts and the share price going through the roof. That isn't there at the moment. And I don't know, I don't know whether it's going to come back. My guess is it possibly won't come back. And this needs to almost like grind it out now. And... Whilst I think that you know this is a business that in normal terms can do fairly decent levels of you know of earnings and cash flow growth, I'm not convinced that 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 marries up to a, to the current valuation price on the shares. But you know, hats off to what it's been doing. I think um, you know it's 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 faced a very difficult situation, and you know, looking at the business, you think, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're moving in the right direction at a different price. You would, feel, you would feel much more optimistic on it as an investment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although you have other options, including Diageo, which is a different price. Um, if I had to pick between the two, I'd go for that, I have to say. Any day of the week. Any day of the week. Um, but hey, that's just my opinion. Cheers, Phil. That's been uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, as always. Um, I'm off for a week now, so I think you're going to be in the uh, the company of James Norrington next Friday. Um, uh, but I hope you have a great week, and and I'm going to run away from these crazy markets because uh, because I can only see it ending badly. What a great what a great way to end. <laughs> well, we had two weeks of positivity, Phil. Let's leave that there for a while. Have a great weekend, Phil, and thank you everyone for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.